The Burning Bird presents The Phoenix Files, featuring Steve Leinert. But uh, you know what? I'm shoot or shoot. Alexander Shaggy Shragus. And that Nardi was wild. And then it ends. Nard gets a, the gold. And Harvish Huck Meta. Oh my God. Again. This is what the Phoenix do. You know, they give me hope. They give me hope. Welcome, Phoenix fans, to The Burning Bird presents The Phoenix Files, game of the week. This week, we. Harken back to a soggy April day in 2018 versus the D.C. Breeze at A.A. Garth Waite Stadium. I'm joined by my regular partners in crime, Alexander Shaggy Shregus. Shaggy, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing okay. The clouds have gotten to me, I think. Oh, is it the clouds or the quarantine or a combination of the two, Shag? No, definitely not the quarantine. That doesn't bother me at all. That gotten used to that. I think it's the clouds. Yesterday was so beautiful and sunny. Today is so overcast. Yeah, but it's still got a nice breeze going today, Shag. I mean, it's it's not, it's not terrible. I mean, turn that frown upside down there, Shag. Okay, got it. We're all so <laughs> We are also joined. We are also joined on the West Coast by Harvish Huck Meta. Huck, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks. You know, I'm going to say it's been a great couple of days here so far, actually. You know, it was really cloudy last week, but like this week, oh my God. I mean, perfect weekend. I couldn't ask for a better one. Well, I mean, isn't it always perfect in California? Yeah, so the temperature is perfect, but sometimes it's just extremely cloudy, so you don't see the sun at all. So it's like, what's going on? Because it doesn't, and it's the funny thing is it doesn't rain at all. I mean, it's rained. I could count how many times it's rained since I've been here, and it's maybe like 10 times. So it doesn't rain that often, but it's cloudy for some reason. I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm not even going to look into it, but we'll continue with the podcast. What is it with you two with the clouds? In every life, a little cloud must come into into play. Like, come on. Like you're, And not every day is going to be just all sunshine and blue skies. I mean, come on, fellas. I'm allowed to be low energy and mellowed out by the weather. That's acceptable. The key is to be able to push through it. It's 75 degrees outside. It's not like it's 58 and cloudy with like uh, with rain. 58 would be better. Then I could wrap myself in a sweatshirt and be comfy. Now I'm in like shorts and a t-shirt. It's miserable. Uh, oh my goodness gracious. Well, you know who else was miserable? The Philadelphia Phoenix were miserable that dark and stormy April day in 2018. As the Phoenix got it got set to take on the DC Breeze in AA Garthway Stadium in downtown Conshohocken, both teams came out firing, and the Phoenix managed managed to take a four to three lead before the first lightning delay. Don't worry though, this will not be the last lightning delay of the game. And as the temperature dropped and the rain picked up, the pace would slow down dramatically, and the Breeze would close out the quarter with a score, tying the game at fours. The second quarter opened up with even more rainy ultimate as D.C. dropped the disc and Philadelphia snagged a break. The two teams would trade points back and forth until Philadelphia took half on a break to make it 8-7. to seven. The Phoenix came out firing in the third, stretching the lead to 13-11. to 11. But as more lightning delays break up the quarter, it's the Breeze who are able to capitalize on the dead legs and wet disc, stringing together a run to end the quarter to go up 17-15. More points were scored in that third quarter than in the rest of the game combined. There was no break as the time was running out in the stadium, and the delays had stretched the game into deep darkness. 
Philadelphia's defense, they were clearly gassed, having had to cover for the offensive mistakes in the dismal third. Fortunately, Coach Trey Katzenbach would use a pair of timeouts to sub on his offense in a point that took nine minutes of game time. That's right. The opening point in the fourth quarter was nine freaking minutes and was technically a Phoenix break, although I'm sure no one remembered it at that point. D.C. would score one more before trampling poor Scotty Zoo on one of the worst fouls we've seen here on the Phoenix Files. Scotty Wright came, came right back on, though, the, the play for the last point of the game as the Phoenix would tie it at 18s. Time expired for the two teams, but so did our time at A.A. Garthwaite, and we were kicked off the field, so we'll never know what would have happened in overtime, and the game ended in an 18-18 tie. So... Fellas, the game turned pretty sloppy, not only in the weather, but in the gameplay. Is that something that you saw there, Shag? Yeah, I, I remember pretty well uh, how thankful I was to be in the booth because we don't see it on the YouTube video, but when we come back out um, from that first lightning delay and it's 4-3 Philly, it's noticeably colder. It went from that beautiful 75-degree day with clouds to 50 degrees and rainy. It was brutal for the players, I'm sure. And I got to be nice and wrapped up in a cozy sweatshirt in a booth. It was much more fun for me. (laughs) Those games are always much better in the booth, I have to tell you. I don't know how fans stick those those games out. Fans Fans like Huck sit sit in those stands throughout the entire game and just gut it out. How do you do it there, Huck? It's not it's not bad. I mean once it starts raining I do kinda sneak into the merchandise tent and just stand there. Or sneak by the DJ and just stand by him and just make sure at least I'm not getting that wet, you know. And I also have an umbrella as well. But, you know, I love watching live sports and that's why I love being in the stands. I mean, it's fantastic. Even in the bad weather, it's okay. I mean, it's not the best, but it's okay. But hey, I had a question. So we had two lightning delays in the first half, right? Is that correct? Yes. Well, there was a lightning delay in the second half. Multiple. Multiple. So does that? What were the rules in that in that year? Like, why wasn't the game not called? I mean, there were no like, rules that year. Okay. Maybe this was the game that caused the rules to be implemented that were ignored in the New York game later on in 2019. It's possible there were rules that as to how close the Lightning had to be to cancel or to delay the game, but there were no rules for how many Lightning delays we could have. We were just flying by the seat of our pants. The farther back you go in the AUDL, the less rules there are for procedure. The less rules there are, period. <laughs> okay, so whenever, like, there was a couple times on a broadcast that they were like, oh, it looks like the game's over. Was that just the Conshohock and Field or the town kind of saying, hey, you got to get off the field? Was that, is that why we were, like, contemplating, I need a game after the third quarter or I need a game at the end, like, we were definitely kicked off by the Conshohocken Field, right? We weren't. Well, so AA Garthwaite Stadium is in the middle of a residential neighborhood. So at 10 o'clock at night, the lights have got to be out. They, 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 you can't just keep the lights on all night long. So it's one of those deals where they got to be off the fields regardless of the time or re- regardless of the score. They have to sit there and, and they have to totally get off the field at 10 o'clock regardless of what the score is or whatever's going on. A bunch of times Bailey calls the game. He doesn't really know. He's trying to fill the broadcast so that if the game just ends there on the recording, the people at home aren't like, what happened? Where'd the game go? What are we going to do? Did they score? Did they win? Did they lose? What happened? He's trying to prevent that 
doomsday scenario. But what it means is he's just throwing out a lot of guesses. He's throwing out a lot of guesses in this game, period. He, uh, it was tough to see the players from where we were and in the dark in the rain. So this whole game's a lot of guesswork from the two of us. It's tough to see the players from that vantage point as it is from A.A. Garthwaite Stadium, to be completely honest. Eh, I don't know. It, <laughs> it gets easier. <laughs> so when they come out, right, it gets really cold. And, I mean, I'm not a great cold player. I'm no Matt Glazer who told us that he drops off precipitously once the weather gets chilly. But I don't like holding things in my hands when it's cold. But we come out, it's a first-row turn, Peck to Mott, where Ethan Peck just throws it into the dirt. Then DC drops it. Then Scotty Zoo can't complete a throw. Then DC drops it. It's immediately bang, bang, boom. Was it just the wet discs and the, and the cold weather? They did noticeably leave the disc on the field during the whole uh, lightning delay, so it had plenty of time to soak up all the moisture. Well, plastic's not soaking up moisture. I mean, it's I not know. a... It's not a sponge, Shag. I mean, let's be honest about that. Did it get a little slick? Uh, probably, yeah. It was It was probably a little slick. But, it, like, you're one who likes to uh, argue about the weather and how the weather is the same for both teams. The disc is wet for both teams as well. Yeah. And it was evident And it was evident for both teams in this, in this game. I mean, there was mistakes, bad throws, bad drops. I mean, it was it was a sloppy, sloppy game of ultimate all the way around. Right, but this is even worse. This isn't just bad weather. This is, like, bad weather, and also they weren't allowed to use their fingers. I mean, that, that first <laughs> quarter is <laughs> an atrocity. And the game's pretty good, actually, after that. I think I think we have some pretty impressive ultimate. That first quarter couldn't happen. Did you notice, Harvish, you talked a lot last week about Trey's offense, this, Trey's offense, that. They don't even cover Trey. It's pretty telling. Like, he's open on give-and-goes because they're not giving him any – they're not paying him any mind. And I think he oversubs himself on in this game. I mean, that'll happen later, but it's one of the big reasons. There's a point that'll happen towards the end. I'm just going to skip there, whatever. You can't have a player coach in the AUDL. Not anymore. Because he subs himself on in too many situations because he sees himself as the best scenario there. It's just not working. He doesn't have a good perspective of the game. Like us watching the game, we're looking at it. I don't want Trey in that scenario. He's just not hes not our best thought on the D-line in the fourth quarter. You know what? It's kind of funny you said that because I was just about to say, like, this is like the first game of 2018 season. And it's its kind of funny how everyone's trying to realize what is Trey Katzenbach going to do? He's a player coach. And, of course, on the first game of the season, Trey plays the most amount of points. He's even on some D-lines, which is, which is crazy. But in, th- in this type of game, when it's, Really bad weather. Don't you want Trey Katzenbach? I mean, he had a hundred percent catching percentage. He had forty-two touches in the game itself. He had a ninety-eight percent passing percentage. Like he was solid. I mean, I guess he wasn't covered, but he was very solid. And he also had two Ds too. That, this is no small piece. This is crazy. He. I thought he was the most valuable player of the game. I know I'm jumping ahead, but I think he was very important in this game when the weather was that bad. He was very consistent. Yeah, but he's he's. Consistent because he's on every point. If he makes one catch every point, he's putting up those numbers. And it's true that he's not – he had 100% complete, like, catching percentage, but not 100% completion percentage because even he's breaking down towards the end of the game. He's not making the right decisions. And I don't think he's – the. we need – look, in the the third and fourth quarter, when we're falling behind because 
really because of Ethan Peck and Scotty Zoo, who had a terrible third quarter. But he needs to put on dangerous lines that are capable of getting the disc back and scoring fast. And that's not Trey Katzenbach. Even probably prime Trey Katzenbach isn't that. Trey's always been ultra-conservative. Um, and that's why he has the 100% completion percentages. He's not really going to be that guy to take the big chance downfield or even put on those dangerous lines as a coach that you're talking about. But that's, there's a reason why he's had so much uh, success is because he's played it so co- close to the vest in his career. And uh, you got, you got to tip your cap to him on one hand, but in another way, it's kind of like, it's kind of boring ultimate, you know? Well, I don't mind the boring ultimate, but I think that we needed someone that wasn't Trey coaching this game because we needed somebody to be able to overrule Trey when he's subbing himself in there at the end. And we also need someone to put Trey in at point, like the putting Trey in has to be intentional. And this game, it felt like Trey was just putting himself in all the time. Because I definitely think that there are points in the third quarter where we need him as a steady hand, who is, quite frankly, completely ignored by D.C. defenders, to get the disc, make the good resets, get the disc, make the good swing passes, get the disc, throw in and cut. He's good at that. I know. We needed that. But we also needed times when people had to, like, take chances and make big plays. And more than that, we needed people who were going to make big plays on defense. And he's not offering us that. And playing, you know... 12 straight points at the end of the game is is not our upping our maximizing our chances for victory and he you can't see that when you're playing the game somehow the phoenix were still in in a position to tie the breeze yeah but we were in the lead for large chunks of the game too we we (laughs) should be in positions to do all sorts of things my point is not that trey is a bad player i think he's extremely good or that he was a bad coach. I think he has he has the chance to be a great coach. I'm just saying that Trey playing every point can't be the answer to to the team being successful. There's just no way. Like watching it, it doesn't it doesn't look like it's the answer. And the that's reason not, that he plays every point is because he's the coach. I mean, that's okay. Look, I, first of all, I think this was Trey's best game of the season. I mean, even though he played the most of points, I think. I mean, two Ds, two goals. That's that's pretty good game for Trey Katzenbach. You know, he's on every point. But he, that means he's still an impact, right? I mean, when it's harsh weather conditions, don't you kind of want someone conservative, a steady hand in the background? He's conservative in the, back, uh, in the backfield, but he lets Scotty Shue and Ethan Peck make those big upline tosses and some huge hucks. Even though I, I don't think Ethan Peck's hucks were landing, I don't think Scotty Shue's hucks, hucks were landing either. But, like, he let them do that, but he was a very steady handler in the backfield. Steve, like as a handler, what do you what do you think? Like, don't you want someone like that to be on your on your side in in, in the office to be that conservative? Whenever it's that it's like pouring rain, it's really windy, it's cold. Don't you want someone who's going to make sure you get the disc, and when you throw the disc to him, he's going to make sure he catches the disc too. You do, but you also want somebody that's willing to shoot the disc downfield, especially into the wind. The more that you mess around with the disc as a handler. And just swing the disc and swing the disc and swing the disc even when its conditions are that miserable, the percentages go up that you're going to make a mistake. And if you make a mistake in your own half of the field, then the chances that the other team is going to score, that percentage goes up for them. So you want to kind of get that disc on the opposite side of midfield for to give your, t- your team a chance to score. 
So, yes, you want to be conservative to a point, but you also want to have somebody that's willing to take that shot, like a Dave Bear type of player that's going to sit there and open it up like a Ryan Weaver that's willing to sit there and that isn't afraid to throw into the wind a little bit to give your team a chance of a fighting chance on the, for a break opportunity, especially on defense. I, I do agree because there were, there were some times in the second half, especially when I see Trey catch a upline, uh, a strike, a strike cut and he catches a disc and there's someone like streaking deep and he just like, pumps him off and I'm like oh my god he was open <laughs> well and it's, if you're in, if you're in power position and you have that throw then go ahead and put it out there you know what I mean and if you don't have that throw then you reel it in and you swing it around and get it to somebody that has that throw but you gotta for me you as a handler if you're going into that wind, you you crave that opportunity. If you get that disc in power position, that you're you're ready to rip that thing as hard as you can into that wind and try to get that disc down that field. Here's the other thing too is that I wrote it down later, but he takes up a lot of space on the field. I mean, physically he's a wide dude, but more than that, when he's setting the stack, he's in half of the lane, so he's cutting off half of the opportunity for anybody downfield to get the disc. So him getting those discs are a nature of the offense that we're running, which is fine, but at times it can be really frustrating. I think that the conservative player in this game who really shone through was Jeff Wodach. I know they're a little bit different in terms of their playing styles. Jeff is younger, obviously, and he's he's more of an initiating cutter anyways. But, I mean, Jeff had 100% passing percentage. He was uh, like 99% catching. He had a great game. He was the player of the game for D.C. And if D.C. wins this game, it's because of Jeff Wodach. And he's very conservative the way he's playing. I mean, he's not taking a lot of risks on the field, but he's still very dangerous and a really good defender. Do you think that uh, that whenever you say put a dangerous line out there, do you think Trey thinks he's dangerous? So he's like, oh, yeah, that's me. So I'm definitely on the I'm, a, I'm definitely on the universe point. I'm definitely going to be out there for offense. Like, do you think do you think Trey sees himself as a conservative player, or do you think that he thinks he's he's a dangerous player? So he's like, of course they got to be on this line, and that's why as a player coach, it's not that good. I I think it's a matter of who do you trust the most on your team is who you put on your universe line. So who do you trust the most? And if you're a player coach, who do you trust the most? Is aren't you one of the people you trust the most? So wouldn't why wouldn't you put yourself on the field? Regard it makes sense to me why he why he was on the field. Oh yeah, I get it. I think you're totally right. He he has the most trust in himself on the whole team. I just think that that's why he shouldn't be the coach. He could play, <laughs> or he could coach. Yeah, yeah, right. He he just doesn't have a good sense of perspective. I, I so, also thought that he could have probably done some zone in this game. I don't. I mean, like, can, can he do a zone in a game where? The field is that wide? Yes, you totally can. M- Madison's been doing it for years, and it's something that the Phoenix should have been innovatively trying since 2015. Yeah, we saw it in the New York game in 2019 that we watched. Uh, they run a zone where they're just they're just sagging way off everybody um, on the outside and forcing the Phoenix to work it there and just clogging up the middle of the field. Yeah, go around the outside, yeah. Yeah, much it's much looser man, man-to-man defense than what we see in this game. But that's the other thing. 
you can make defensive adjustments like that if you're on the sideline watching it. I can't imagine making defensive adjustments like that in the game. It's so hard. You either have to be like absurdly good at understanding the game itself, not how to play or how to coach, but fit like what is actually happening, which I don't know how many people are that good. It's pretty rare. Or you have to not be that concerned about what's going on. And so it's easy to have a sense of perspective. When we play fall league games on our like gimmicky team, I'm very good at deciding when to and when not to run a zone because it doesn't matter. And so I'm like, no one's holding me to whether or not I'm making the right call. In an AUDL game, it's probably extremely difficult. Well, <clears throat> a lot of it has to do when, when it's windy. I mean, it's not rocket science to either there, Shag. I mean, if, if it's windy and if it's a crosswind, you're, you want to run some kind of trap or double team trap zone. And if not, you if, if, if it's an upwind, downwind game, you want to run something flat and force things out to the sides. Mm-hmm. And it's something that New York has experimented with. It's something that... I, I particularly like watching the Madison Radical games on AUDL.TV because of the different zones that they like to uh, run. And uh, I, I like to see how different teams would be benefit from implementing some of the strategies from these different teams that, they, uh, that have had some success in the league, uh, like Madison and like New York. Seeing more of these zones there, uh, Huck, would be very interesting to uh to 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 see now how many teams are working on that i don't know now shaggy to your to your point though i mean there's like if you can practice all of these things you can practice all of these things on the fly i mean so in in practice you can say hey we're gonna have like a code word and when we say this code word on the sideline we're gonna switch to this two three two zone and we're just going to do, we're going to implement it on the fly. So it's not something that's, it's that hard to do, especially at the AUDL level, because you're playing with uh, players with that, that are relatively have a high sports IQ and can, can make those adjustments relatively quickly. Um, supposedly. <laughs> so, so speaking of high sports IQ, I was taking a look at the playing time for this game. And this is a game by the way, where all the weird things that we thought of about the season, this is where they come from. Uh, Matt Esser and Trey Katzenbach had 880 minutes, which is two solid weeks played in this game. So that's not right. Scotty, Campy, Nick Patel, Ethan Peck, Greg Martin, Trey, and Matt all are over 850 minutes of the game. So this is the game where they left the line on and it just went through the whole two weeks until our next game. Now we know where it came from. But Sean Mott, who I think has great field awareness, he's an incredible player. He only plays 19 points this game. He's not even top five in points played. Mike Arcada, who is my player of the game, he plays even less than that. It just seems astounding to me that these players, I mean, maybe Arcada was dinged up, but Mott, Mott should be leading the team in points every game. Where is he? I mean, that's a good question. Uh, I... I uh... I, I think at this point um, in his career, maybe that Trey, Trey believes he's still too young. Maybe he's not come out of his shell as much as Trey likes to have seen quite yet. 
I don't know what's going through Trey's mind at this point. I I I know that Sean Mott needs to be on the field at, 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 at every single point that Sean Mott wants to play, and for him to not only be on that for for nineteen points that you're saying is that's a that's a that's a very low number. Uh, that's that's a that's an eye opening uh, number to hear. Um, especially when you hear that Trey played two full weeks worth of, of, of ultimate on, on his end. <laughs> I mean, I mean, at least even that, if you even that out a little bit, maybe the Phoenix have a, have a better shot at pulling this game out uh, in regulation. Sean Mott is, uh, was coming to coming, was coming into his own in 2018 and does definitely deserved more than 19 points. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's the seventh most points on the team that game and like obviously the minutes played thing is skewed anyways but he's eighth in minutes played it it just seems it seems odd I mean what it looks like is that he doesn't play any D points almost that we're saving him entirely to be our offensive weapon and he plays every starting O point so Ethan Peck Trey and Sean Mott are on for every O line that is the basic O line let's say but of all, even even Ethan Peck gets in for more D points, which is very surprising to me. We got so I think we got to see more games this season because we know the story, right? I mean, the end of the season, I think Mott has by far the most stats on the team itself. So I think uh, maybe this game could be an outlier a little bit, but it's also probably has to do something with Trey's conservative play, where where Mott is more contained and he's not taking that many chances, hucking a disc, or you know, I mean. I don't know. If, look at 2018 season. Do you see like nifty scubers from Mott? Do you see like, I, I don't know, anything that's like, wow, I can't believe you did that. Or holy crap. I mean, of course, that's Mott. He's our guy. You know, well, he, so has, got- he has a great one in this game where he scubers it to uh, Ethan Peck, who drops it at the height of his jump and then just keeps going into the end zone. And Strauss catches it and dishes it back to Ethan who catches it in the end zone. And it just looks like Ethan thinks that he tipped it to himself. I don't think Ethan realizes that Greg Strauss caught it there. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Do you, do you think that Trey maybe scared the guys a little bit into playing a little bit more conservatively than they maybe perhaps would have normally? Like maybe that Mott wasn't throwing those scubers and hammers that he normally would have because Trey would have been upset and maybe t- taken away his playing time. Yeah, you know, no, I think I think Steve, you're on to something. And this is nothing against Trey. I think he has a very solid mentality. Like, you get in a game, you're very consistent, and don't screw up. And that's his that's his mentality. So I remember in a Pittsburgh game, uh, I think Ryan, we were destroying Pittsburgh. I think, and, and Ryan Brown was was put in, and there was this easy toss to him, and he just misses it. He was benched for for the rest. He didn't go back in because Trey's just like, well, I I I. Ryan, I, I talked to Ryan. He's like, oh, yeah, Trey just told me, like, remember that drop you had? So, of course, you're not going in <laughs> for the next couple of points. I mean. <laughs> of course. Don't worry. You sit down and think about that for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, when you have a, a uh, coach that's like, don't mess up, be very consistent, very conservative, that, that leads to maybe some very good and disciplined defense, which I do think we have very good man defense in a Trey era. But it also leads to, like, very – an uncreative offense where he's like, we're just playing vert stack and we're going to shove it down their throats with this vert stack throughout the game. 
I don't know if they're scared exactly. Maybe no, Ryan Brown is, but I, I can't imagine. Bad, maybe scared was a bad word to use, but. No, but I understand what you mean. I, I think it's more mindful. I think it's more, more mindful. They, well, I think that Trey drilled it into them that you need to maintain possession of the disc. And it's funny because we may maintain, we may complete a lot of passes, but that doesn't lead to great offensive efficiency. But so my guess is that Mott has that in the back of his head. Make make the 100% throw. Make the 100% throw. And so that's what he's doing. He's probably just being a good team player and <laughs> following the coach. I will say, though, I do like some of the things that the the vertical stack opens up in this game. We have a lot of these, like, I don't know. I don't know what to call them. I always think of them as uh, kind of like a D cut where you'll have the disc on the open side, you'll throw a swing pass. And as the disc is traveling in the air right behind you to your dump, you're sprinting across the field so that you can get the disc now. And you've made a, it, it kind of looks like a D with the disc and the, and you running either you're getting the disc way on the break side now with a lot of room to maneuver, or you're getting the disc in power position on the fourth side. Those cuts are hard to make in a horizontal stack or in the spread stack that, a lot of teams have adopted. It's much easier in the bird stack because all that space, all that horizontal space is opened up. And I really like seeing those cuts and it lets like Scotty, he's cooking in the first half. And that's why he's able to utilize all that horizontal space. That is something that I like to see. And it's cool to watch the handlers moving it like that. That little D cut is, are you talking about a give go? Yeah, it's a give go, but it's a give go where you're moving horizontally on the field. Yeah, where you dump it and go across the field versus a, where you swing it and go up line. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. There are a lot of give and goes. So this this would uh, technically count as a, a minor victory for the Phoenix with this 18-18 tie with the Breeze. I mean, getting a... The Breeze were a a playoff team in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. And for the Phoenix to hang with them like this at AA Garthwaite Stadium shows that they were no pushovers. Not only that, because of this tie, if we had beaten them um, that last day in June where we lose by 10, we'd have been the playoff team instead, most likely. That's That's how big a moment this was. We had a great season that year, we thought. But watching the play, I don't think that the division was as strong as it was the the following year. And also, the other thing to remember in this game is that DC is missing the MVP of the season in Rowan McDonald. He's not here for this game. And he wins MVP in 2018. He's that good. That's why they beat us by 10 and we tie. (laughs) Yeah, slightly why. I I mean... I mean, Rowan's, Rowan's really good at Ultimate Frisbee, man. <laughs> how, how, how good? I mean, so I, I definitely remember Shaggy telling me, and he said, like, oh, this is the, the Scotty Shoe game where he got, like, decked in the head and he uh, comes back to the field and just uh, kills it for the team and really helps to come back. And I totally forgot about that while I was watching the game. I'm like, I, I mean, it's, the game's almost over. I swear to God, Shaggy said something about Scotty. I mean, I don't see anything happening. <laughs> so, like, I was actually shocked when that play happened on the field. I'm like, what the? 
what 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 just happened? <laughs> I was so mad. I stood up to go rush the field because like as if I was going to start punching people on the DC sideline. And the stats guy from DC looked at me like, "What's happening?" And I, and then I felt kind of silly, and I sat back down and said the thing about throwing hands. But that was crazy. He gets destroyed. There's no excuse for it. He gets decked. Okay, so the play is there's like there's two eighteen left in the game. It's like an hour twenty six into the video broadcast, and Scotty catches an upline cut. The guy who's trailing him lays out to get the disc. He has no play on it. He lays out into Scotty's knee, so Scotty's falling down. Then there was an in cut happening. I don't know who is being covered on the in cut, but the DC defender just keeps running and just like throws his shoulder. I mean, maybe he was trying to pull up and it's and it's slippery, but he just throws his shoulder into Scotty's head. So Scotty's falling down on one end and then just gets demolished coming over the top. And I think he, I think he may have, uh, I think it may have hurt him more than, than he let on because he comes on the next point and he's stumbling around on the line. Like he, they have to keep showing him where to go because he's lost. It's impressive. He hung out, hung into this, you know, he still had it after that. I thought that was impressive, but I mean, I don't, you know, the first, there was something like when I, so when I was playing some summer league in upstate New York, some Ithaca summer league. And I remember this guy was telling me like, you should never, I mean, what's the point of chasing someone like where the only way you can get to this is through their back or through their feet? Like, why, why would you do that? You, you have to defend someone in a way that you always have an angle to get to disc. Even though it's not like the fastest way there, there has to be an angle to get to this in a different way. You can't just go through their back. I mean, that's, that can't be. In this case, I'm like, that's exactly what, what happened. I thought the, the second player who, who shoulders got in the head was, Going for the disc, I just don't think he stopped. I think that was just belligerent. You know, I, I think that was on him through and through. And, he, and was he ejected? No, he wasn't. And I don't know what it takes to eject someone on the first uh, instance of um, infraction like that. But he definitely should have been. That was an unbelievably bad hit in an ultimate game, too. Oh, I, thought the- I just saw it. i if this i mean i say it on the broadcast too i said frisbee players don't really throw hands it's the wrong sport for that but honestly like i was surprised the bench didn't clear and just start that was that was so late that guy laid into him so late i mean uh, i mean normally i i could see why the defender that hit scotty was in the air because he thought he was going to get the disc but man, that was way late. That was way late. Scotty did not see him coming, and he hit him high. He hit him high in the shoulder too. Oh my goodness! He hits him in the head because Scotty's going down. It's the yeah. same player, by the way, who backpacked Sean Mott earlier in the game. But in that instance, he touches the disc before he collapses on Mott, so it doesn't get called. Which I think is also a missed call by the referee. I'm pretty sure that because making that play, there's nowhere else for for him to go other than on top of Mott. And it's the same thing here. Let's say he reaches through and touches the disc. Fine. He reached through and touches the disc. But there's no way for him to land without demolishing Scotty. It's such a dangerous play. Like, they changed the rules in 2019, USAU did, to cover that, to say that that would be not allowed. And obviously, like, maybe there'll be a team somewhere that takes advantage of it. But in the AUDL, he should have been ejected. That was brutal. Now, so- knowing, knowing, knowing Trey... 
I'm I'm surprised that Trey did not sit there and and go after that guy himself. Like Trey, uh, Trey is one of those guys that stands up for his teammates through and through. I know that for a fact. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had to be restrained uh, by by some other Phoenix players after that hit because that was a that was a dirty play. Well, take a look at it again. I so Trey walks Trey walks all the way down the field. He's just, oh, he is all the way down the field. He starts walking there, and then he exchanges words with Hemi, and then he exchanges words with Sean Mott, and then he just stands there for a while, and then Hemi and Trey both go to their knees, like both knees. So that's where Trey was. I guess Hemi, Hemi and, uh, Hemi, oh, Hemi and Peck. I guess Hemi and Peck managed to talk him off of it. No, I don't think. I seen the play. Maybe, maybe Trey didn't see the play yet, that's what I thought. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so I went to, like, what, what happened? Oh, Scotty got hit in the head. He's like, all right. I mean, if he if he saw it, it probably would have been, been different. I mean, I thought the funniest thing was Bailey on the broadcast. Him taking off his headphones, we still hear him. It's really funny. <laughs> we still hear exactly what he's saying. Yeah, I guess I, I guess he didn't see it. He also thinks it's Ben Davies who got hit. Ben Davies is like six foot five and from New Zealand and doesn't look at anything like Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> The mistakes us announcers make, man, I'll tell you. Yeah, that one was bad. That yeah, that play is nuts. And it 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 doesn't I thought it changed the game more than it did remembering it. Because it was all I remembered about the game. I thought it like completely turned oh. around the Phoenix. I thought we were down by four and then we mounted a massive comeback. I mean we only scored two more points after that. It's enough to tie the game up. But Yeah, but it's but it's uh, yeah, but that's enough to tie the game. I mean that's that's huge. Yeah, yeah I, that's a that's a massive comeback. That that counts as a comeback. Definitely a comeback. But it, it was really impressive that they could close out a game with a tie. And I do think it's a victory for the Phoenix, even though they were up. I mean, we're, we're used to that. They're always up, you know. But it, it it was nice to see that they at least came back and got a tie, and then they just kind of go away and could have easily been like uh like you said that ten uh, ten point loss. It easily could have been maybe twenty. 24-16 uh, to DC Breeze, you know, but it wasn't, you know, it was 18-18, which is, which I'm happy. That, even though it's a tie, I was happy to watch Phoenix kind of come back. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I also think that part of the problem, I didn't notice it from DC as much because I just don't care about the DC players as much as I care about the Philly players, but <laughs> there's no... <laughs> There's no break in between. First of all, the third quarter is there are a lot of problems in the third quarter on a lot of levels. Poor Stacy Spencer is seeing all these crazy lightning strikes and trying to get them to call the game. And my guess is that every time she comes over to talk about it, Trey starts screaming at her. All she's trying to do, by the way, like I think that we get lost in this because of sports, but all she's trying to do is protect the safety of the players, right? She's trying to make sure that everybody gets out of there intact. And because we care about sports beyond reason, everyone's just screaming at her on the field. What are you doing? There's no lightning. Let us play. We're fine. It's uncalled for. Poor Stacy. And then I don't think Philly same, handles. It was what? the same thing. It was the same thing during the New York game you know, with the Empire last year. I mean, it was the, the, the lightning was all over the place. I mean, it was no question it was there. Like, you know, it was, it was, it, it, and, and, and they just kept going and going and going. 
Yeah, but the difference here is that Stacy and JB are at this game, and they weren't at that game. So in this yeah. game, at least, they're able to institute some semblance of uh, control and order. Oh, also, man. so... Anyways, back to the problem. Because of all these lightning delays, there's no break in between the third and fourth quarter. So the players who are out there are just dead on their feet. And then they have to go through this nine-minute ordeal where basically at, at one point or another, every Phoenix player will play. The poor defense just played like a two-minute point to end the quarter, and now they have to play another you know, four minutes coming back into it. Trail burn both his timeouts, which is probably, by the way, why we only tie this game. We don't win it because he has to use both those timeouts there, which means he can't use it for that last play when we get the D and Ethan Peck starts traveling in the end zone. I could, I could not figure out what was happening on the last, you know, 30 seconds of the game. But so nobody has any legs, the, the ground's slippery. And so they just stop for like remembering to do basic things, basic things like pay attention to the people on the field and not deck them. All right, well, the last 30 seconds of the game. Here we go. The uh, D.C. Breeze receive the pull. They swing the disc. The Phoenix trays on the mark. The Breeze huck the disc, and it's deed up by Esser. Great deed by Esser. He just reads it the whole way. And now the Phoenix have the disc with 16, 15 seconds left. Ethan Peck is just threw it to a D.C. Breeze player who almost got a Callahan, and he caught it in the end zone, and then Ethan catches it. Ethan Ethan, throws the disc. It gets macked back into the end zone, and he somehow grabs it again. Yes, he caught his own own pass. Oh, three, two, one, a hook that goes up from Esser that is not caught, and... That's how the game comes to an end at AA Garthwaite Stadium with the distant midfield 18-18 and under darkness. It is they have to shut the lights out. The kitties have to go to bed in Conchahokan. That's that's that that's that at AA Garthwaite Stadium. Oh man. What a good game. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think would have pulled it out there, Shag? Um, well, at the time, I thought Philly for sure. Because I remembered this game as we were down by five the whole game. Scotty gets knocked out, and then we mount this miraculous comeback. In reality, I have no idea. Judging from the fact that we that neither team could play at all coming into the fourth quarter, and then Philly scored after nine minutes, my guess is it would be something similar to that, where it would just be a coin flip of a travesty. I, what I want to say is that my player of the game was Mike Arcata. I thought he was unbelievable. I thought he was uncoverable. I thought he made some amazing throws. There's a, there's a point. I mean, I call it out on the broadcast, but he has a great OI backhand that goes basically across the whole field 40 yards to Greg Martin at the front corner of the end zone. It's a beautiful throw, and it comes on the heels of just, like, Peck missing huck after huck after huck. I thought he was really incredible, and he only plays, like, 16 points. So maybe he was also dinged up. But I feel like Arcata and Mott would be on in that fourth quarter, and they would be in that overtime. They'd be able to take over in a game where DC's gassed and Philly's gassed, and we still had the legs on those two guys. Maybe that was Trey's strategy. I don't know. I, my my player, yeah, I already said it. I think it's Trey Kant. I'm not taking it back. I think this is his best game of the season, and he has a huge impact in the game. I mean, that first half, two Ds, very close to each other, 
Oh, fantastic. And you know what? Uncoverable Arcada. I mean, no one's covering Trey, so this is great. He's just catching discs and making completions. You know what's funny? Trey had my least favorite play of the game, which might be why I, I'm taking too much credit away from him. But he has a play where he has the disc, there, the whistle, there's a whistle. Now, he thinks the whistle is a contact call downfield on D.C. So he just throws a scuba to the back of the stack into, like, five people that gets deed up. It was not a contact call. It was a pick call. So when Trey throws that throw, it's just, uh, it's 13-12. Oh, man, this is brutal because it's 13-12 Philly here, too. Trey thinks it's a contact call. It's not. It's a pick call. He throws a terrible throw thinking it's a free play. It isn't. D.C. gets the disc like maybe 20 yards outside of the end zone and punches it in. And they're able to break now. They, they get their break train going, and they, they tie the game up at 13s. That's a bad play. What happened was, to conservative train there, Huck? That was, that was his only turnover. Yeah, but it was like that a was mental error. From... That was, I mean, Trey comes from a basketball background. I can just see him thinking, oh, you know, throw through the play. I, I, I could see why, why he did that, but it, it is a mental error. I agree with you. But that, that was his only throwaway. That's his only throwaway. I mean, look at, look at Ethan Peck. He has like six throwaways. Yeah, and I didn't choose Ethan Peck as my player of the game either. I chose oh. 100% Arcada himself. <laughs> well, you know what? Oh, I'm going to... Oh, crap. No, no. Arcada has 90% <laughs> passing percentage. He only throws it like three times. I, I don't care. I mean, I what, three more. times? You don't get 90% three times. We need more Arcada... Touching the disc, I think. Yeah, Arcada also is a throwaway, man. I'm just saying. I, I love him, but I think Trey had the biggest impact in this game. It's possible that Arcada didn't have a throwaway because Bailey doesn't know the names of the players. He might not have been keeping uh, 100% accurate uh, stats there. You can't use that, man. Come on. You can't well, but that. we that's the thing. We know Trey had a turnover. It sticks out because it was so ridiculous. You're right. Trey had a great game. It's a good pick. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna sit there and agree with Huck, and I'm gonna give Trey my player of the game too, because of multiple reasons. Number one, it's probably the last time I'm gonna be able to give a guy my age a player of the game, right? So <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit there and, and and go ahead and give him player of the game number one. Number two, as a, a former coach, I now I know how hard it is to uh, run a game. And uh, I can only imagine how hard it is to run a game and play in in a game. And uh, and then number number three, I mean the guy's just been rock solid the whole his whole career. And you know we were kind of hard on him in the past couple burning birds and uh, in this particular episode. So I'm I'm gonna throw a little love his way and say you know what, hey Trey, you know what, good for you. You you deserve uh, you deserve everything that you've earned, and uh, you're the uh, Burning Bird Phoenix Files Player of the Week. So that was a glowing and beautiful endorsement for a great ultimate player. I have a question for you. I believe without a doubt that Trey is the reason that we didn't lose this game. He's the reason that we that we managed to scrape out a tie. But I also think that Trey is the reason that we didn't win this game. I think there were times when we could have taken a risk and upped our chances for victory. And instead, we didn't take that risk and we lowered our chances for defeat. And it's funny that it just happened to be we lowered our chances for defeat over and over and over again until we managed to tie. And I think that Trey is unquestionably the reason that we, that we got to that point. Do you think that realistically, 
I mean, obviously the Phoenix have a chance to win this game. It's a tie game. If anything goes one way or the other. But it's not like the Phoenix don't have their breaks either, right? Strauss gets a bunch of tip discs that just fall into his lap. Do you think that the 2019 Phoenix would have been able to win this game? Yes. Yes. I agree. All right. No question about it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that, we're looking at the 2019 Phoenix was way was a was a more seasoned group and a more confident group than the 2018 group. The 2018 group was still trying to find themselves, which is funny because they were missing the most confident and seasoned player from this game. Who was Trey? Well, when your most confident and seasoned player is in his 40s, that's not boding very well, in my opinion. You need Sean Mott to be that player, and. In 2019, he was. I agree. We're also looking at there's there's some there's a difference too in talent too. I mean, we're looking at people. Nothing against these players at all. I love these players, and I think they're very important players on a team. But Campanella did not start in 2019, right? Uh, Colin Messina did not start in 2019. Uh, Campanella played 16 points. Colin Messina was in that game, so I'm, I'm shocked I don't see his name here. But the, the, these are just examples of players that. That did not, you know, they, they well, want to be starting in a in a, in a game in 2019 when you have that much talent on the team. So, look at look at the transition from the 2019 and the 2018 defense in terms of like what gets brought to the team. Nard Nard would be here, right? Nard's not in the uh, Nard's not in this game. But Nard undoubtedly plays, right? He he probably takes one of those spots. Um, Damiano's moved over to the O-line. That frees up some room, but Pollard would have played, right? And also, Mott plays a, a hefty number of D points in uh, in 2019 that he doesn't really play as much of in 2018. And then we'd have Mark, we'd have the Sands brothers, great defenders, B.A., uh, Bryce Dunn. I think we got an influx of talent that didn't play as many games in 2018 or missed it completely in the case of the Sands that then we see in 2019. It's not like Messino and Allen left the team. They're just other players that ended up taking those spots. That, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm, no, I love these players. You know, they're, they're fantastic players. They're fantastic role players and they're very consistent and good, but they're not the next level of talent. And they're still developing, I, I, I think. You know, I think maybe the next year is, is a year where they really show up. I mean, these are the same players that we're talking about that won that Toronto game in Toronto. I mean, these guys are no jokes, but we are, we are missing. So you're right. We're missing some of town. That's why I, would, I definitely think the 2019 team would, would crush this team. Also, I think scheme wise too, I think Hampson did a really good job scheme wise in that, in that 2019 season where he finally started incorporating some double teams, some zone plays. You're right. Just a more well-rounded developed team. What do you guys think of the so you think the, the lightning delay rule came out from this game? <laughs> the the, the uh, ejection from, from the referee standpoint, we, we saw that really fast rejection in Montreal. I'm sure that, that turned into a rule to from hopefully from that would be funny if it's from this game. And the backpacking, is that was headspace, was that a rule that was implemented as nineteen? No, I mean you can't backpack someone either way. I think in the AUDL if you make contact with the disc first, there's a lot more leeway um, in fouls than there are in than there is in USAU, where because in USAU you're calling your own fouls. So if I get the D and then 
punch you in the face, you're going to call a foul. It doesn't matter that I touched the disc first. In AUDL, that happens less often. But I also think that uh, maybe that's wrong. Like, I think that you have to protect the players in every sport. And you need, I mean, it should just, it should always be, if you are not able to make the play without colliding with the, with the other player, there's no possible way for you to do it, then it's a foul. That's, that's what I've always thought. Me, I like the backpack people. Just go ahead and foul the shit out of them. Go ahead. Steve, at this point, if you backpack someone, that might be the end of their career. I'm only kidding. You don't do that kind of stuff in Ultimate. I'm sorry. Not here. Maybe in the Carolinas in the 90s, but. <laughs> yeah, well, and anything, man, some of those practices, let me tell you, anything went. Uh, you, you you thought that uh, we treated other teams poorly. <laughs> man, those those practices were rough, man. <laughs> you, 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 there were no foul calls on, on on any of those on any of those courts. I'll tell you that right now. So, the DC team that ties this game with us in April is missing Rowan McDonald, who was the MVP of that season, and in my mind, was the second most valuable player in the league last season after uh, Max Shepard. I think Max Shepard deserved the MVP last year, and I think that Rowan would have been my runner-up. Um, and the gap between this Philadelphia team and the D.C. team in 2018 was the 10-point gap that they showed on June 30th when they smacked us when it mattered. When we thought we had a chance to go to the playoffs if we only beat D.C. and then split the series against the Empire, and prime MVP season, Rowan came in and said that that was not the case. And in the following year, in 2019, I think we were a much closer team to peak DC, and I don't think that DC went down at all. I think DC stayed about the same in terms of talent, and the Phoenix went up, and that is the barometer that I'm looking at. The other thing about Mott is, Mott picks up a lot as the season goes on. He started 2018 really slow for Mott. He still ends the season with like 50 goals and 50 assists. So what we hypothesized at the time is that teams had started to game plan specifically for Mott. That they were looking at the Phoenix and they said, if we can stop Mott, we can stop the Phoenix. And that didn't really work. And so as the season goes along, we start playing better teams, first of all. But I think they also stop focusing on Mott. And Mott, gets, Mott starts picking up all his, uh, all his stats. Because he finishes the season with an unbelievable stat line. I, I mean, you're right, but that was the same thing since 19. We, I remember podcasts we were doing where, like, when is Mott going to show up? And that was, uh, that was the question of the 19 season. Maybe that's just Mott. He's a slow start. Maybe he's a chemistry player. You know, maybe he's a player that needs uh, a lot of points under his belt with, the play, with players around him to understand who they are, and then he can definitely become the facilitator. So that, that could be his thing, too. So maybe, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the season starts, uh, the first couple games, Mott's really slow, and then all of a sudden, it takes off. Well, that would be worrisome, considering that in 2020, we may only have the first couple games. Well, no, and, and, and I thought this year he was going to hit the ground running. I was it, it, like, I expected a, a fast start from him, Mike Arcata, Greg Martin, uh, all these, all the, all these guys, Himalaya Meta. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't, I did not. I don't want to hear any excuses on why they're starting slow. Every, everything was falling in the in the, in the place. Uh, they're all rowing in the same direction. Uh, everything is is going according to plan, and uh, they're in shape. They're ready to go. 
Uh, I don't see why there's any reason for a slow start by any one of these particular players. You know something else I think from just this 2018 season that's really important. Do you think that it excited a lot more talent than Philadelphia to come out for the Phoenix in 2019? Like just having a Phoenix season where it's like, wow, you guys have five wins. Oh, definitely. Now we're going to definitely show up. I, I definitely think as much as we might say like, okay, maybe if, if Trey coached better, we could have more wins. And some of those losses are definitely on him. But one thing he definitely did was he excited the city of Philadelphia. I mean, that, that combine in 2019 was, I think, the largest combine they ever had. And we had some key talent pickups like Billy Sickles, the Sands Brothers, Nardelli, these great players. And it, what's, what's great is it's looking like these same players, except one of the Sands Brothers and, and Billy Sickles on, is on the practice squad, these same players are going to come back next season. So I, so I agree, Steve. I think, I think they are going to hit the ground running because now they're going to have a lot of consistency under the belt. The only thing that worries me is the handler position where I just feel like it's changed a lot throughout the years. Yeah, but you've, uh, you've got Alex Thorne to anchor that now. I mean, that, that's, um, you can't, you, you, you can't talk about the safety blanket that you have back there enough now. I mean, you, you've, you've, you've got something special back there. This, I mean, not, I'm not trying to diss Ethan Fortin or even a Trey Katzenbach or anything like that, but you, Alex Storn is a, uh, is a, is a special, uh, center handler. And, uh, and, uh, it, it's a, you're, you're going to really like what you see from this particular player. What's this cast? What's the starting cast? Who's, who's surrounding Alex Storm? I mean, can you do it? Can you do it all as a handler, as one handler? No, he's not going to do it by himself as one one handler. I mean, I feel, like you, I feel like you need two solid handlers on that back backfield. Well, no, you got you got Dustin Damiano too. Okay, so Dustin's going to be on offense. He was on offense in twenty nineteen, but you have them. You have Arcada. You have Hemi. You have Mott. You yeah. have Greg Martin, and then you have all these, and then you have all these like. Just you have a bunch of dudes who are just exactly cutters, like Glazer and and um, Brandon Pastor, who are like their brains were engineered to cut, which is Connor perfect Boyle. for guys like Mott and and Thorne. Connor Boyle back there, don't worry. Yeah, Connor Boyle, MVP of uh, Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh my God, that last point, but. Who do you think? So, so we're looking at offense. So, offense we're gonna have. We're gonna see Alex Thorn. Um, is Mock gonna be in the backfield, or is he just gonna be that third handler that either cuts or stays in the backfield sometimes? Mott can do whatever Mott wants to do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think Hampton tells him that? Do you think Hampton goes like, "All right, um, this next line," and Mott's like, "What's the game plan?" Oh, he's like, "No, you do what you want to do." Everyone else, you got you guys got to follow my game plan. You know how we, Superman has got an S on his chest. It stands for Sean. <laughs> yes, I think Hampson just tells Mott, Mott, do your thing, go get open, fly around out there, do your stuff, go be Sean Mott. That's that's what I, I mean. I, again, this isn't rocket science. You don't you don't have to overcoach Sean Mott. I mean, also like. If you were going to rely on a player, 
it's nice to rely on one whose dedication is that incredible. I don't know. I cannot remember the last time Sean Mott missed a whole game. No, I, I can't either. It's truly remarkable how committed he's been to the Phoenix for years. Since Steve coached the Phoenix, he's been that committed. This is true. <laughs> that's, that's why he's my MVP, man. Of last season. <laughs> oh, yeah? Over, uh... He was my first pick, man. Come on. He was my first pick. In, in, oh. the, in, the, in the draft we did. That's true. Yeah, he gets, uh, I think he was a little underrated by by the league, but not this season. Now now we're putting them on notice. They'll be ready. You want to hear something cool about next week's uh, Phoenix Files? Yeah. Uh, yeah I was... All right, well, next week we're going to do another 2018 home game, June 9th, 2018, versus the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds. And we're going to have a very special guest. Pat Hammond, the coach from the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds, is going to join us. I've never met him. I don't have any idea what he's like. I've met him. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Of course Steve met him. Come on, man. <laughs> he's a good guy. Yeah, that's, you know, there's no other sport where this would ever happen. There's no other sport where... The, the opposing team's uh, media contacts the coach from the other team and gets an interview with them. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, it happens all the time. It does happen. now in, uh, in it quarantine. Does yeah, it does happen all the time. <laughs> no, no. Think, can you imagine? Okay, the Eagles. Can the Eagles radio station that 94.7, whatever it is, right? Yeah. That, can you imagine them getting the Rams coach on there or yeah, something? It's a conference call. Yes. That's never happened. That's never happened. You never have another coach of another team on his opposing team's radio station. That never happened. We do that on Eagles Sports Talk Radio all the time, especially Sean McVay. Everyone loves talking to Sean McVay. Well, Sean McVay loves to talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's Bill Belichick. Yeah, well, no one wants to interview Bill Belichick because he doesn't talk. That's true. I sense a little uh, NFL crankiness at Sean McVay. Yeah, that guy's a little smarmy bad. That guy. I don't like his beard. I don't like none about Sean McVay, man. There's something about that guy and his beady little eyes. I don't like him. I'm telling you right now. Steve, Steve, I don't know if you're watching this. Uh, when they, when they play the Patriots. Rams, he's a little millennial coach. Man, I don't like him. He's, he's a not water- a good coach. No, it's, it's, he got it's, he got his comeuppance in that Super Bowl, scoring three points. Hey, welcome to the party, pal. The party was the Super Bowl. Yeah, he scored three points. He ruined the darn party for the whole country, for crying out loud. He was in the Super Bowl. Yeah, he scored three points in the Super Bowl. In the Super Bowl. You can't be that bad. It was, it, was, it was the year after the Eagles scored 41 points in the Super Bowl. Thank you. Yeah, but he okay, against, the, against, against the same team. I mean, watch a little film, pal. Yeah, I mean, my word. You know the funny thing is, Steve? I, whenever they were, they were covering Sean McVay, they were like, oh, my God. This, this Milano coach is amazing. Oh, he's, he's so good. He doesn't listen to music as card. He listens to these books by uh, football coaches. Like Bill Walsh, and and he just listens to audiobooks all day. Look how smart he is, and like that that Super Bowl is just terrible. I'm like this guy's stupid. I mean, there's no way. And then what he does next is he pays Todd Gurley 
Then he pays Jeff Goff, and they both stink. Wait, but you can't you can't put any of that on McVay. I put that on him. I mean, like why? He got that's... his ass kicked in the Super Bowl. In the Super Bowl. When look here, this is. Oh, I mean, here we go. You keep saying in the Super Bowl like it's a big deal. It like, is a big deal. Do you only need people get to the Super Bowl every year. Until the Eagles won a Super Bowl, we were like wandering the desert like Moses. Yeah. Okay. And, all right, and then and then we finally win the Super Bowl, and then and then it's a huge deal. And then you're talking about like him losing the Super Bowl, only scoring three points, and it's like no big deal at all. He made the Super Bowl, so that's so good of him. No, they it's held, they held the they held the 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 Pats who put up 35 the year before, or 33, or whatever. whatever. 33. 30. They, held, they held that offensive juggernaut to 13 points. We're not going to go all over <laughs> them about that. Oh, oh, no, these, these big, bad <laughs> Patriots that couldn't be stopped in the previous Dave. Super Bowl. And they, they ran into, Dave, a, into a brick wall. And who's the best Eagles coach? They who's could the, be the stopped. Best Eagles coach ever? They were stopped by the Eagles. They were they the Eagles made one defensive play the whole game. It was a uh, miracle. Uh, uh-huh. How many did the Patriots make? Squata. The they, Patriots make they one did, defensive play the they, whole game. They now, didn't get an interception, I guess. You that was, all, was a now, play. Alshon Jeffrey juggled that ball and batted it right to the Patriots defender that play. Uh, yeah. That wasn't even, your, that wasn't even Nick Foles' fault, and don't even try to pin it on him. He's a saint. Turnovers are fluky, and he's a saint. Sure, who's the best coach in in Eagles history? Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson. He's coached the team like four years. Doug Peterson won the Super Bowl. Doug Peterson had a literal only person playing. No, Andy Reid was the best coach in Eagles history, but Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl. Andy Reid was the best coach. He didn't I'm, win a Super Bowl. He went to a Super Bowl and lost to those same Patriots. To somehow, oh, somehow, that's the, craziest, that's the craziest thing to me in all of 21st century sports, is that somehow I watched a Super Bowl in 2001, and then I watched a Super Bowl in 2019, and the same dude was coaching and the same dude was quarterbacking. It is bonkers to me that that happened. I cannot fathom it. Yeah, well, it's he not going to happen anymore. No, not the same. Well, it could. It could. If the Patriots and the Bucks meet up in the Super Bowl, it'll be the same dude coaching and the same dude quarterbacking for 20 years. That would be, that would be terrible. There, that would be the sign that, there's, that, the, that the devil is in charge of the NFL. It would certainly be tough to root for. I think I'd have to pull for the Buccaneers because uh, I like their coach more and once you put on the helmet, it's hard to tell which players are which. I can pretend it's not Tom Brady, but I can no, never I, I pretend love, it's not Belichick. I, I love Bruce Arians. It, it's crazy how the Patriots have done it. You know why? They, you know how they get it done? They, every team is so worried about paying their players. Do you hear any of that nonsense from the Patriots? You're like, oh, you want yeah, more money? Did, get the f*** out of here if you want more money. That's, that's what the Patriots do. <laughs> And Have you been paying attention this summer? They lost Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, because they refused to pay him. And and that's the Patriots' way. And that, I think I think when you have when you have people taking pay cuts to be on your damn team, that's when you're that good. I mean, it's it's crazy how many players they just get from tears like, all right, we'll take the minimum as long as 
you're promising us a win. And it's kind of funny because I think I think in now in the next couple of years, you're going to see a lot more players in the Patriots wanting money. Like Gilmore, he's going to want his money because you don't have Tom Brady anymore. You don't have a good quarterback. Yeah. Also, like, Belichick's going to retire and the, 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 the Patriots are over. Finally. <laughs> We've got to suffer, like, two more years of this nonsense and then it'll be done. There's an end on the horizon, which there hasn't been on an end in the horizon my whole lifetime. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, the Patriots are about to die. Uh, Tom Brady's about to retire down in well, Florida. I don't know about that. No, no, he's going to have to. He's, he's already got one foot in Florida. You know what I mean? That's already one step to retirement. He's he's already halfway to Del Boca Vista. He's already halfway to Del Boca Vista. You know, in honor of Frank Costanza. Yeah, I just that was funny. I was like, <laughs> I, I got it, Steve. I, I got it. You, you can't keep him out of Del Boca Vista. No. <laughs> I don't think there's any coach I like more in the whole NFL than Andy Reid. He's my favorite by a long run. That's why I went nuts when you said Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson's a close second, though. I, Andy has my heart. Hey, Doug Peterson won the Eagles Super Bowl. Did he or did uh, his holiness Nicholas Foles? Big flick <laughs> Nick. Hey, first off, Nick Nick Foles, ultimate Frisbee player. Thank you, Nick Foles, right, mm-hmm. for, for everything. I mean, uh, you know, he, he thank, you know, thank you, ultimate Frisbee, for keeping Nick Foles healthy and uh, ready to go for when Carson Wentz went down and uh, and uh, for delivering us a Super Bowl and for, uh, for for making Eagle fans aware that Ultimate Frisbee is totally the reason why we are Super Bowl champions to this day. So I hope that uh, all Eagle fans are uh, supportive of the Philadelphia Phoenix and Ultimate Frisbee and are forever grateful to Ultimate Frisbee for the Eagle Super Bowl championship. Amen. Is that the grace that you say before dinner every night? <laughs> right before I go to bed. Right before I go to bed every night. I say that. <laughs> Oh my goodness. All right, Phoenix fans. Thank you for joining us on another The Burning Bird presents the Phoenix Files game of the week. Join us next week for when we recap our June 9th, 2018 game against the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds. We'll be joined by Pittsburgh coach Pat Hammond for Alexander Shaggy Shregas for Harvish Huck Meta. I'm Steve Leinert. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Burning Bird. The Burning Bird presents The Phoenix Files featuring Steve Leinert. But uh, you know what? I'm shooter shoot. Alexander Shaggy Shregas. That Nardi was wild, and then it ends. Nard gets uh, the gold. And Harvish Huck Meta. Oh my God! Again, this is what the Phoenix do. You know, they give me hope.